You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Kate Campbell, how are you today? I'm good, Owen. I'm I'm surviving. Oh, that's very good of you. Um, Surviving is probably a pretty low bar, but we'll we'll take it. So today we're talking about uh, Magellan Financial Group. This trades on the ASX under the ticker symbol MFG. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a company you can buy shares in. So this is our shares episode. Um, tell us a little bit more about this episode. This is like this type of episode on the Australian Finance Podcast. Yeah. So every month we look into a share or an exchange traded fund as nominated by our audience in our Facebook community. So if you want to get involved in the future, definitely join that group. Um, and what I did last month um, was took the, the five most popular companies from RAS Media that people are looking at. I added a poll onto our Facebook community and Magellan Financial Group was the clear winner. However, I didn't um, lock that poll from future suggestions. So the audience in our Facebook community added lots of their own suggestions and zero was zero come second. Yes. Zero was a crowd uh, pick and also came second. So I'm thinking that um, Mm. not next month, but the following one, we will do a deep dive onto zero because it was the runner up. Um, And so, yeah, this isn't a recommendation from the Rask Australia team. We do not have a current recommendation on Magellan. Uh, We've just chosen it based off uh, user data and what's been picked in the Facebook community. Um, I probably just wanted to note at the very front that um, Magellan, as we'll get into, has been having a lot of challenges recently. There is a lot going on at Magellan right now. We're going to try and break it down for you to keep it really simple. Um, So why don't we just start off with, well, what does Magellan do? Uh, Magellan is um, a company that invests other people's money. So Let's say, for example, you want to invest in the stock market, but you don't want to do it yourself. What you can do is you can go to Magellan. You can say, here you go, Magellan. I'll be pay or direct deposit $20,000 into your trust account. 
and you can invest that money for me. And Magellan will take a fee f- for that. They will take a fee for the management of that money, which is like 1% or around about per year. And then if they do really well, they'll also take a performance fee. Why is a performance fee paid? A performance fee is paid because it incentivizes the fund manager, in this case, Magellan, to invest well. So you might say, like, not you don't you don't set the rules, they set the rules, by the way. But let's for, say, for example, that you want a 10% return. And Magellan says, we are targeting a 10% return. And they do better than 10%. Well, they might take a percentage of that um, over that amount. So it might be, say, 10% of that amount or whatever. Now, Magellan has more than one strategy. So if you went to the Magellan Financial Group website, you would see that they have a global equities or global share market investment strategy. That's their biggest one. They also have an infrastructure strategy. So that's where you invest in, or they invest on your behalf into shares of companies that own infrastructure. Um, They also have some ETF style strategies where it's like half active investment management, where it's the person making decisions and half like automated. So there's like quantitative strategies and, you know, computer code that kind of runs in the background. And so they've grown beyond um, just being like a single strategy fund manager. Most fund managers, when they start, they start out with, we've got one strategy and we do the strategy really well, come and invest in it. But then when they get bigger, they're like, oh, well, we're really good at this global share market thing. Why don't we do the Australian share market thing as well? Just in case people want to invest their Australian investment money with us. And so they've got one of those too. That's called Early Funds Management. They bought that. Um, They've also got a bunch of different, like more unique um, strategies. So one of those, Kate, I know you are going to talk about a little bit is the future pay strategy. So maybe just in your own words, what would you say that is and who would that appeal to? Well, future pay from what I understand is targeting retirees really and self-managed super funds, which is a huge audience in Australia, not necessarily our audience, but it is a big demographic. Um, And what they're doing is looking to invest in large companies. um, So probably a lot of your blue chips and they're looking for stable long-term returns. And um, they're going to be, they have a lot of sort of functions underneath it, but it's really targeting to give um, investors a sort of guaranteed monthly income and so that during various market conditions because retirees when they don't have that paycheck coming in they want to know how much they've got to live on each month and so uh, products like this can be really popular so you just know what your monthly income stream is Um, and then they can also do they can um, they make the products so they can actually smooth out that monthly income uh, through various strategies as well and there's other uh, I know there's many other products on the market like this, so you know actually what income you're getting each month. So they can, if there's a really great month of dividends, they might hold some back so they can smooth out your ride. Um, and I know some of the listing investment companies do this as well, don't they, Alan? Well, they, they try to, yeah, by creating yeah. a portfolio. So what Magellan's trying to do here is basically be a place where any investor can go and can invest in a way that they that feels right to them. So you can use the more half- um, you know, human half kind of quantitative model, um, which is cheaper, more like an ETF, it comes in an ETF, or you can use the future pay strategy, which is more focused on retirement income, um, or you can just go with straight, you know, global equities or global share market strategy, which is their core strategy, or you can go with the infrastructure if you want that part of your portfolio. And basically Magellan's built this fantastic reputation uh, started by two gentlemen by the name of Hamish Douglas and Chris McKay. 
And for many, many, many years, uh, Hamish Douglas run Magellan. And that was only until very recently that he um, stepped down. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Kate, it was due to a medical leave of absence. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. I believe that's what I saw in the paper the other day. Yeah. And so Hamish, and I've interviewed Hamish before, he um, he was constantly, for the better part of the last, well, this was since 2006, 2007 when they started, basically since that time, he's basically been considered Australia's best investor, uh, if not one of the best investors ever. Uh, that's because he built such I a- I think they, they, they call him like the Warren Buffett of Australia, don't they? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that it's a bit different because the way Warren Buffett invests, but yeah, some people would. It's a bit different to the way Warren Buffett invests. But um, yeah, he's basically like our poster child for investing in individual companies. Mm. And uh, But the thing that goes unnoticed, I think, by a lot of investors is actually his- co-founder Chris McKay is also a tremendous investor and the two of them together combined to start Magellan in 2006 and it just so happened that Hamish kind of took over the main business and the main strategy while Chris went off to run something that was a bit smaller as kind of like a side project but because he's run it so successfully even if it wasn't part of Magellan it would be considered like a fantastic investment um, company in itself and Basically, Magellan's ballooned into this like $2 billion plus company. And now it's got to a point where it's got all these different strategies that you can choose to go with Magellan. But it's also got this other thing, uh, Magellan Capital Partners, which is basically taking like their investment expertise and starting to buy parts of other companies for themselves. So normally what they would do is they would invest their investors' money. And they would charge a percentage fee for that. But Magellan, the business itself, has got so good at that and made so so much in profit that now it's saying, well, hey, we've got our company's, you know, got its own profit. We've got our own cash. We've got our own, you know, dividend stream. Why don't we go and invest for our company? And so they've gone and bought parts of other businesses. I know one of the companies, Kate, you're very, very happy with. <laughs> yes, they, uh, they've invested a small amount in Guzman Gomez, which we actually go to for lunch sometime near work. But one of the things I did want to point out, because it came up with a friend the other day, is that when you're investing in a funds management business, it's like that umbrella. So you're not actually investing in those individual active ETFs or managed funds. You're investing in the company that runs it all. Because I had a friend who um, thought they were investing in an Australian ethical managed fund. Um, like a high growth fund that was investing in all sorts of different companies, but they actually brought Australian Ethical, the funds management business. And so that's not what they wanted to invest in at all. They were actually looking for a managed fund, um, but they just got really confused because they saw the word Australian Ethical and just thought, that's it. Um, And so they bought shares in the business that runs the fund instead of actually investing in the fund itself. So um, I think it's just good because if you do search Magellan in your broker, their active ETFs are going to pop up as well as the fund itself. So just being careful to clarify if anything like Platinum, Magellan, Australian Ethical, there's a few others. It'd be like investing in Vanguard, which has all of the funds and ETFs underneath it. Um, Vanguard's not listed as far as I know. Um, But yeah, so just just be really careful when you're picking what to, um, if you are trying to invest in an active ETF by a particular manager or a managed fund that, you're investing in what you actually want to invest in. Yeah. So, you know, we've had ETF securities on the show before. We've had Kanish and um, Evan and, you know, we worked, uh, we've worked behind the scenes with a couple of those guys. And um, it's, it's important to remember that you can invest in an ETF securities ETF, you know, through your brokerage account. 
But ETF Securities itself is actually a company. Mm. So you could, if you, like someone owns that company, if that company was on the stock exchange as well, you could invest in the company that runs the ETFs. And that's basically what we have here. We're talking about the company that runs the Magellan strategies. Mm. Um, and this might, for new people, this might sound a bit like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> but just know that you're investing in a company. Whereas if yep. you invest in one of the strategies, you're actually just investing in the ETF or one of the managed funds, just like you would something else. And the difference with that is, to this one key difference, if you invest in Magellan funds, you're going to get units. And you're going to, if you then decide to sell, you're going to get cash back that way. Um, but if you invest in the shares, you're getting shares, not units. And when you sell, you have to sell to another investor in the stock on the stock exchange. Now, so okay, all of this said and done. So we've kind of it's this, this is a really interesting company, obviously. So, like, what does it actually do? And what does it actually um like why is it a good company? Like, why would people be even looking at this thing in the first place? Uh, I think that's worth worth talking about. Um, but maybe actually, actually, before we get to that, we should actually talk about like who's running it. We mentioned it briefly there. Uh, you mentioned some of the competitors. Can you take us through like the competitive landscape and, and who's who's running the business? Yeah. So honestly, when I was thinking about competitors and having a look, I think that exchange traded funds would be a big competitor. I don't think they put that on their website, but um, I, a lot of investors go back 20, 30 years, managed funds were one of the best ways to get a diversified portfolio without having to do it yourself. Um, and so a lot of self-managed super funds still invest in managed funds till today. Um, but now exchange traded funds have popped up in the last 10, 20 years, and that's a lot easier to access a diversified portfolio for low, much lower fees. Uh, of course, it's it's different. It's not an active team running a portfolio and deciding every day what they're buying and selling. Um, it's a sort of a passive strategy, but I, I don't know if you would agree, Owen, but I think ETFs are a big competitor to a company like Magellan. Well, that's why. So, yeah, so I, I would say the most obvious competitors uh, are the funds management businesses. Mm. Yeah, so, so you've like, got Platinum, Australian Ethical, Pinnacle, Perpetual, yeah. um, other companies like that, um, and especially international uh, funds management businesses that you won't hear about as a retail investor, but the super funds are going to be investing billions of dollars with. Yeah. So this is an important uh, point you bring up here, Kate, actually, because it relates to the risks in just a moment. Mm. It's not just you and I, like people like you and I putting 20 grand or something into one of these strategies that Magellan runs. When, if we were customers of Magellan, we would be very small customers. Some of their customers invest billions. Like I think one of them invests over a billion dollars. Um, that was pulled out recently. Um, and so those are what we call institutions or institutional money. So if you and I go to Magellan, we'll pay the 1% and we'll probably you know, pay the performance fee. But let's say Australian Super is looking for a place to put money from its members. It can go to Magellan and say, hey, Magellan, we're Australian Super. We're the biggest super fund in Australia. We're going to we want to invest $500 million of our members' money with you, but we're not going to do it at 1%. We'll do it at a lot less. Would you do you want to do you want the money or do you not want the money? And so that's basically the relationship that goes on behind the scenes with big institutions. So what you and I know is we give 20 grand to Magellan and they take 1%. For big investors, like institutional investors, they um they talk in big dollars and they talk in low fees. Um, and so to your point about competitors, basically it's anyone 
who could take or any firm which could take money away from Magellan. Mm. So that could be an ETF. It's worth noting that Magellan have their own ETFs and they've recognised that that's a threat, so they've launched their own ETFs. Um, it could be you know, a financial advisor that doesn't use Magellan. They might go somewhere else and then they send money in a different direction. It could be pure index funds, um, whereas, say, Magellan doesn't do index funds. Um, so it could be any one of these things. And at the end of the day, you, you outline some of the big ones. You've got Platinum, you've got Australian Ethical, Pinnacle, Perpetual, Magellan, um, Magellan, um, Hyperion, like you can just the list goes on. There's thousands of fund managers throughout the world. Um, so all of those, you know, are com- competitors. I would say um, it's important to understand in any funds management business who is running the company. Um, and I will just quickly rehash what I said before was um, Hamish Douglas was the chief investment officer and um, executive chair, I believe, um, for the majority of the company's life. Uh, Chris McKay was his co-founder and was in charge of something um, uh, which was basically a listed investment company, something we've talked about before, MFF, Capital Investments. So this was also on the stock exchange. However, it was it's, it's slightly different. So there are many different Magellans we mentioned before. This was like an offshoot of the main one. So he went and ran that for a few years, but then he came back um, in the last year. Um, and so he's kind of riding the ship in Hamish's absence. Uh, the interim CEO and CFO is, is Kirsten Morton, uh, has lots of experience, um, most notably with Colonial First State. There's another competitor. Uh, Hamish McLennan, uh, if I can speak correctly today, um, has been a director since 2016 and uh, in 2022 became chairman. So, you know, there's been a bit of transition here. Mm, I think there was even just a, a news story last week that um, Hamish stepped down, so from the board. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So even in re- sex release. yeah, even in researching this episode, um, in the last couple of weeks, more changes have happened. So I think that's uh, just it. Sort of reinforces the fact that if you are looking at individual companies, you do need to stay on top of um, things like this because the landscape can change really quickly. Yeah, the the thing that um, is really important in funds management business to be aware of is let's say, Kate, for some unknown reason, I wouldn't have a faintest idea why. You say, hey, Owen, actually, I think you're a pretty good investor. I'm going to let you invest $1,000 of my money. But let's say I go outside and I get hit by a bus. Um, You're going to be like, okay, I'm taking that $1,000 back because, well, you're not going to invest it for me. So um, that's what we call key person risk. Hmm. Now, there is two sides to this. One is Hamish is constantly kind of um, applauded as like the biggest and best investor in Australia. And he has been for probably the last 10 years. So when he leaves, um, some investors are going to pull their money out, which we've seen happen. Um, now, the other side of it is that because it's the biggest or one of the biggest fund managers in Australia, it actually um, has a fantastic kind of reserve list. If you think about it like a sports analogy, uh, the people that come off the bench are fantastic. Like they're not just any old deal that's got, you know, a chartered financial analyst designation. And like Chris McKay is a fantastic investor in his own right. So to him, for him to come in um, and back up Hamish while he's down, that's impressive. Um, even some of the senior analysts like Nikki Thomas, Vahari Ross, mm. um, many of these, you know, uh, Dom Giuliano, like many of these people are really, really, really impressive investors and so they've got a big team there like they're running over 20 different funds and active etfs and you can't do that all as one individual person but i think in those companies where there is that key person 
like we wouldn't know who else works for Berkshire Hathaway except Warren Buffett. Um, well, that's true. Like yeah. who else works? Like no, they don't have any publicity. So I think sometimes that key person can overshadow all the other great people that are running the show. And that's probably what's happened here a bit is for a long time, like Hamish was the person that you saw everywhere, mm-hmm. everywhere. And that's great because then it meant that it meant that basically you knew what you got. You got like the guy that has run it for so long and has done so well. Um, but also on the, the downside of that is that when he leaves, it creates issues because you, you end up in a position where um, he's left and all of a sudden you're like, okay, well now who's responsible? I don't know this other person. Um, so yeah, it's, I think they've got over 30 analysts in total, like in portfolio managers and plenty of great talent. I think one thing that's worth mentioning here, if we talk about risks for a moment, mm. is that Magellan Capital Partners, you know, where they own GYG, where they own part of Baron Joey, where they own all the parts of these, these businesses, they own small stakes, um, as well as some of the managed funds, that's all permanently locked in. So meaning that they own some of these businesses and they have an ownership stake in them. But also some of the funds, some of the funds that they run has have locked in money, meaning that money that cannot leave. So there's like permanent money for them to invest. So they will always have a business. It's just a matter of how big the business is, Hamish or not. Um, and so they 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 knew like these investors aren't silly. They knew that when they were managing you know billions and billions of dollars, that hey maybe this won't last forever. So maybe what we should do is try and lock in some of this money. Um, and so we've got it for forever. Uh, and that's what they did. And this is like a stroke of genius. They've also started offering ETFs and all those types of things. Um, Kate, there is, a, um, a, I guess, some questions around like, and I think you want to talk about this, it's just kind of more like the social, um, environmental and the governance practice uh, piece. We talked about governance. One thing that I really like about, and this is not necessarily the only thing I like about them, but one thing that I really like about Magellan is there are so many great female investors in the team. And it's not, I don't think it's a conscious thing. I just think it's them um, just hiring great people. And that's just a byproduct of it. But, um, you know, some of their, some of their leaders um, that I think of are people like Nikki Thomas, Fahari Ross, who I interviewed the other day. Um, you know, so many great investors, even within um, early funds management, which is the business that they acquired. So, um yeah, yeah and I, I mean, think they're doing a great job of actually starting to reach out to a younger demographic through oh, their yeah. active ETFs and through their fund managers, and they're actually getting involved. Whereas some of those older school um, funds management businesses, you don't see anywhere. Um, and I, I don't know if they really care about a younger demographic coming no, through don't. that uh, could potentially invest in their managed products one day. So it it is quite heartening to see. And I think, um, yeah, even having a look, um, if you are interested Having a look at their annual report, I mean, I was just flicking through it before and it is quite easy to understand um, the first few pages, especially you can read the the chairman's letter to shareholders so you can sort of get a quick overview of the company all in one spot. Yeah, yeah. The key thing to keep in mind with um, with all this stuff is all the different strategies charge different fees, but what Magellan actually keeps is its own kind of margin. That's probably the key thing from a financial perspective. We'll get to that in just a minute. But um, yeah, the, that's probably the key thing. Um, the, the wonderful thing about a funds management business like Magellan, if we start to talk about some of the good things, um, the wonderful thing about uh, a company like Magellan is that 
once you've got your core people in place and once you've got your core systems in place, you can just bring on more investors, more investors, more investors and get them investing in your strategies. And you can just earn more and more and more fees. Mm. Because if you think about it, like let's say, Kate, you and I, we start uh, we start Magellan 2.0. Um, we get all the legal documents sorted. We set up with our uh, custodian, the company that takes care of our money, uh, of our investors' money, and we get a trustee, the company that manages it basically. All we've got to do, you and I, is just invest the money. Mm. Um, and get more investors in. But once, you know, we could be investing, you know, $500,000 or we could be investing $500 million. It really doesn't make that much of a difference. So what happens is when these businesses do well, they do really well. Meaning that once they've got their employees and their systems down pad, they've got their customer service, there's really no more big expenses that have to go into the business. So say like um, a company that manufactures, I don't know, cars. Um, well, every time you know Tesla wants to roll out and add another thousand cars, they'll have to build a new factory or whatever the number is. Or every time Coca-Cola wants to start distributing um, in you know into a new place, they might have to add another warehouse. With Magellan, you just simply don't have that because they don't need to. They need their website. They need to have all their backend processes up and running, and the rest of it's just automated. So what happens is. The, the more customers that come on, the better the profits um, because your costs aren't rising as quick as your profits. And do you mind now if I just jump into sharing my screen for those people that are watching? And, yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, walk, walk us all through it. So I've just got to make sure that Zoom likes me today. Um, okay. Can <laughs> do a quick go. overview of the financials? Yeah, here we go. Okay. So I think, you, can you see this? Uh, it just says you've started screen share. Okay, I can see and your desktop as well. There yep. we go. Okay. okay, cool. So here we go. We can see um, this is the ticket terminal, but we'll come across to the most recent annual report. So, Kate, you mentioned before about how there is, and I'm all the way down the bottom because I was looking at the number of shareholders. Yeah, so uh, if you are trying to find the annual report, go to the website and head to the Investor Center, or you can go to the ASX website, search for MFG and look at all the announcements, scroll back a bit, and you'll see the annual report. It's probably the longest document uh, that yep. listed there. So you can see this one um, is uh, the annual report from August 2021, um, and it's 102 pages. So when you click into the annual report, typically the first page has a very um, like concise summary of financials. Uh, this is a legal requirement that they have to post the stuff on the front page or the second page. Uh, so you can see here the company made revenue of 715000 uh, for the financial year or the 12 months ending June 30th, 2021. Net profit was 260. Five million um, on an individual share basis, and um, that was one hundred and forty-four cents. If we look further down, we can see the dividends. The company paid or announced uh, two dollars and eleven cents in dividends, um, which is really, really impressive. Um, not quite fully franked, but um, a lot of it was franked. So. The, then we dive into, and you mentioned this before, there's a five-year summary. You mentioned this before about the chairman's letter. So that's here starting on page six, and you can go through that. Um, and then there'll be the chief executive's letter. So this is from Hamish. Um, and so you can go through and read that, and it gives you a summary of the business. Every company does that. You know, it's annual report. Uh, if I just come back up here quickly to the uh, five-year summary, this is really handy. A lot of good companies do this. Um, and you can see reading from right through to left, you can see the um, revenue growing over time. And this is what I meant before about the profits growing quickly as well. Um, 
The the interesting thing is, see this metric right, this one right here, Kate. And I know that you're watching this, and some people won't be. I'm talking about something called the average base management fee. So remember how I said before, the big institutions kind of demand what they're going to pay Magellan, um, whereas you and I just cop the fee and move on. Um, this number here, which is actually 0.61%, tells you what's the average fee that's charged to a Magellan client, regardless you know, of how big that's the average. Um, and you can see that the average fee has come down over time. And that's because the strategies have mixed, like they've changed, they've launched more strategies, some lower cost strategies, so on and so forth. And I imagine there's some competition stuff in there too, Kate, to your <laughs> point. People asking for lower fees. Um, but the basics is like you can see, and this is what I meant before, like Magellan's revenue is 660,000, uh, 663 million in this year, but the expenses are 107 million. So it's like a six to one ratio. It's incredible. Imagine having a company where your revenue, what you're bringing in is 660 million and what you go spend out to produce that is 106 million. That's not normal. Um, and that's why these are wonderful businesses when things go well. But let's talk about what happens when things go wrong. Well, the opposite is true because just as quickly as money comes in, it can leave. And there can be sometimes there's no negotiating with the companies that want to, you know, send their money elsewhere. And so, you know, if you if we look at this here, this page here, page 19, according to uh, my app here, you can see that one client on the very left here has over 10% of all of the money that Magellan invests. So meaning that if this one client pulled out, they would lose 10% of the money that they're currently investing for their clients and earning fees on. Now, the more optimistic and less cynical person would say, yeah, but that's only one client. Look at all, like it's a good spread across the other clients. And that's true too. But what happens if not just number one, but two, three, four, and five all leave? And then all of, you know, retail hmm. investors, the smaller investors start to leave as well. Well, that's when you have a problem. Yeah. And that's currently what people don't know what's happening. Because it can are, have a domino effect if people get spooked and oh, like absolutely. large funds get scared. They just, they don't want to do, some of these large funds, they don't want to do anything too different to the other ones. So if they're, all their friends are leaving, they might want to leave the party too. And that's that's exactly right, Kate. So you, if everyone just kind of floods the exit, you know, have you ever heard of, you know, you've heard of a run on the bank. That uh, The only reason that a run on the bank is a bad thing is because everyone tries to do it at the same time. Mm. If everyone didn't, you know, if you run to the bank today, I run next week, it wouldn't matter. That's just normal. But when everyone does it at once, that's a problem. And all of us trying to run actually makes everyone else scared because we're all like, oh, we all want money. Oh, I got to be there first. And then all of a sudden, and that's basically what's happening. It's like herd mentality. If one investor pulls out of Magellan, does another investor pull out? Well, if he's pulling out and she's pulling out, we'll all pull out. Like, you know, and all of a sudden you have that kind of uh, domino effect, as you said. Uh, I don't think it's that bad, but um, that's just me. Um, here we can see that Magellan earns its money predominantly from those management fees, just that you know, 1% every year or 0.61% every year uh, and less from its performance fees, although its performance fees are like cream on top. You don't always get it, but when you do, it's good uh, because it's basically like free money. Um, so people are saying that because Magellan's performance hasn't been as strong, they're not going to earn performance fees. Um, finally, I might just draw, like I know we, we don't want to go on for too long about this, but one more uh, thing on the financials, if I can uh, come down to it. Um, 
is that the company, and here we go, we've got the auditor's report. The company is in a very strong financial position. So it's got $211 million of cash at the end of the 2021 financial year. It's since been updated. There's been a half-year report, so keep that in mind. Um, but on the other side of the equation, there, there is no long-term debt. There is some liabilities here. Um, we might dig into that, sorry. We'll go down to note 14, just to be clear before we say something on the podcast that's incorrect. Um, and yeah, we've obviously, yeah, here we go. So it's apartment um, related to the global fund restructure. Yeah, okay, so it's not um, traditional debt. Um, and so it's got a strong balance sheet. Um, so, okay, that's basically the financials. We've got some good, we've got some bad. Um, with every company that's invested. Mm. Um, what else do, do, is there anything else we need to cover off on? Oh, it also pays a juicy dividend. Yeah, I guess the main thing that if people listen to this episode and they just search the company on their brokerage app, they're going to look at the past year share price and they're going to go, what is going on? Yeah. Okay. So the answer to that question is exactly what I just explained. With Hamish leaving and the, the, the main strategy, which is the global equity strategy, it's not performing as well. It's not earning performance fees which then means that the people that invested with them are now taking their money out quicker than they're putting it in. Um, whereas in the past, say, 15 years, it's been the other way around. It's been everyone putting their money in. Mm. Can't get enough of Magellan. You might remember it sponsored the cricket. It was that popular not too long ago. Um, and so that's what's happening now. The question then is, okay, well, does, when does that stop? When does, it, when does the ship right itself? The answer is no one knows for sure. And why does no one know? It, because it depends. Like you said before, it could be everyone runs for the exits um, or it could be just half the people run for the exits or people get to the exit and then they don't go out. Um, and, you know, another thing is that people then see that Magellan, they might go, hey, Magellan, you've got 15 years of really good performance, and uh, but we know you're in trouble right now. We're going to stay but you're going to have to give us a little discount on that fee that you charge us. And so they use that leverage to their advantage. Many funds have been in this situation before, like Platinum, which we mentioned before. Um, that was in a similar situation. Basically, Magellan ate Platinum's cake. Um, and you see this with all the big fund managers. Um, now, all this is to say no one can predict the share price in the short term. No one. But that's what makes Magellan so interesting right now. If you believe that people will stop taking their money out as quickly as they are now. And you believe that, you know, the company's still got some really good investors and they're going to do well over the long term. Well, then you might be inclined to say, hey, I'm thinking this is more of a buy. But if you're thinking, oh, they might lose some more money yet. More investors might walk out the door. Oh, you know, I'm not sure about, you know, them losing Hamish uh, in a permanent role, what that might do. Then you might be like, okay, well, maybe it's a sell or maybe it's like a, I'll wait and see on the sidelines. Mm. Um, personally, for me, I think Magellan's a fantastic company. I just think it's a fantastic company. I think it's got some tremendous investors there. There are some investors I haven't even mentioned yet who are there. <laughs> um, and I think they're still Australia's premier investment company. Um, so it's on your watch list? Oh, it's definitely, yeah. To, to give you the short answer, it's definitely on my watch list. Definitely <laughs> on my watch list, yeah. Um, I don't own shares, neither do you, I believe. Um, I haven't invested in one of the Magellan funds. Like all of the full disclosure, um, 
but it's a really interesting business. Um, there's a lot more that's been written on Magellan on the RAS Media website. If you just um, head to the raskmedia.com.au website, mm. you'll see that there's a Magellan logo there you can click on. It's got some analysis on it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think there's really the whole one. bull and the bear case uh, one of our writers has dived into. Yeah, so um, take a look. It's a it's it's a really fascinating company. Um, I would just say, remember, you don't have to own every company, and you don't have to own every company at every time. You know, that's the thing about. Whereas ETFs, you kind of put them in your bottom drawer, and you just slowly dollar cost average, or even if you're investing in the funds that Magellan run. But for individual shares, you can afford to just be a bit more patient sometimes, mm. and that's okay too. So keep that in mind. You know, um, I've watched Magellan fall for a while now, and I still haven't bought, but I might in the future. Um, and you might do the same too, Kate. Um, what we're saying here is you don't have to rush in headfirst and buy them just because we've talked mm. about them on the podcast. And you don't necessarily even have to, um, you know, go away and, and try and defend it or 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 invest in it or, you know, but this is just an exploration of what the company does. And yeah. I think it's a fascinating company. And just some things to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just summarize Magellan Financial Group. It is the company that runs the funds, not the funds themselves. Yes. MFG, not MFF, not MGOC, not any other M. MFG is the company. And that's the company that runs the funds. Um, the share price has fallen recently. You heard why. Some of the investors have pulled out. Um, this, the co-founder and historical CEO um, has taken a medical leave of absence while his co-founder has stepped in as an investing an investing role and they've got an interim CEO there too. Still have a really, really, really strong bench, got multiple strategies. The, qu- the key question on everyone's mind is, can Magellan slow up the people heading for the exits and can it maintain that fee that it charges? If it can, it could be really interesting. So. It's definitely on the watch list. Oh, I'm just reiterating, it is not a buy recommendation from Owen or the Rask Invest team. Um, and if you do, if you enjoy this episode, if you want to pitch us a company or an ETF for a future deep dive, hit us up in the Facebook community or by emailing podcasts at raskrask.com.au. Yeah, that's it. And if you want to join any of our membership services and see what we actually do have buy recommendations on, you can head to uh, the rask.com.au website. And from there, you'll be able to see all of our memberships and subscriptions. So, Kate, that was fun. I like yes. these deep dives. Um, yeah, it's your favorite Next month, topic, it's an ETF. So. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Next month, it's an, it's an ETF. So that'll be a bit of fun too. As always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rask.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? Invest Smart can help. 
InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.